you're listening to Privacy Files, the podcast that makes privacy approachable for businesses and consumers alike. This episode is brought to you by Anonymy Labs, makers of MySudo, the world's only all-in-one privacy app. And Sudo Platform, the cloud-based platform companies turn to for seamlessly integrating privacy solutions into their software. Welcome to episode number 19 of Privacy Files. I'm Rich. And I'm Sarah. In our last episode, Sarah and I observed Teen Tech Week by interviewing the mom of a teenage daughter and discussing how parents can keep teens safe in a digital world. Today, we are officially launching My Pseudo Monday, a monthly series that features different use cases for the privacy app, My Pseudo. In this inaugural episode, we will be talking about how to leverage My Pseudo to achieve greater privacy and safety as an online gamer. To help us better understand the world of online gaming, we are joined today by Logan who he himself is an avid gamer. Logan, thanks for coming on Privacy Files. Thanks for having me. Before we jump into the privacy and safety concerns about gaming, Sarah, just a real quick recap of a story that took place, I think last year around November or December timeframe. This story made the news uh, for at least a week, I believe. There were hackers who were using ring cameras to they were hacking into them and they were swatting which we're going to get into a little bit more in this episode which is essentially just making hoax right emergency calls about some issue that's not real to get the police and the SWAT teams to show up to someone's residence and they were (laughs) they were literally taunting the police through the ring camera doorbells as they arrived yeah it looks like the article says the pair would allegedly tell dispatchers that someone was being held hostage or there was a bomb threat and then they would live stream the police response on social media through the homeowner's ring camera. And it's like several times over a couple years. Like they have nothing better to do. Yeah, and it, it, it's bad enough to waste the resources of emergency response teams. Oh, but absolutely. Then, and to put somebody's life in jeopardy, of course, too, who's completely innocent. But on top of that, then to be so brazen to to taunt the responders through it's an added layer. <laughs> yeah. What what a sad story. So yeah, just a short little story. It's a um kind of a primer for what we are going to be talking about today, which um is really a key use case, I think, for the MySudo app, and that is the world of online gaming. So Sarah, let's open up a case file on online gaming. Now, before we jump into this, we're going to give you a little bit of background on the industry of gaming. It's a it's a huge one, right? Very, very large industry and probably took off even more so during the, the past you know pandemic with people being locked inside and having to find things to do to keep themselves entertained. So we're going to do that first and then we'll jump into some of the risks that people will encounter while online. So first, the market revenue. 2021, the gaming market saw about $192 billion. That's with a B. In 2022, it dropped a little bit down to 184. These numbers seem to fluctuate quite a bit. I've seen numbers as high as two, 300 billion, but it just keep in mind that compared to the movie industry, it's it's the it's, movie industry yeah. small. It's blowing it out of the water. Right. And I think there's just sort of maybe that natural dip after the pandemic. You know, people people are back at work, you know, so the gaming it, may not be there. Makes strong. me wonder what all those people were doing. When <laughs> right. to be working. Still had a job. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And it's projected to surpass the two hundred billion dollar mark by the end of 2023. Now, the gender breakdown, about 55 percent male. 45% female. Which I think people, it's like easy to think stereotypically that it's always men, but I'm like, I think women are, you know, it's almost 50% there. So yeah. Yeah. And there's people that make a career out of this too, right? There's professional gamers. Isn't that right? Oh, Logan? Yeah. yeah. I've seen plenty of uh, female streamers rise up lately. So and, good and to you see. can make, you can make a lot of money doing that. Yeah. If These you, people are uh, making well over six figures sometimes. Yeah. If you've been in the industry for long enough and you have a big enough name, you can make some pretty absurd crazy right so the age the common age group the most uh, kind of the core age group for gamers is between 18 and 34 which also represents about 38 percent of the entire age range breakdown and then 20 percent for players under 18 which that's i don't know if that seems low to me or not it does it feels low for sure yeah 
And the least common age group is players older than 65, which only represents about 7% of the total market for gamers. Now, demographics, 67% adults play and 76% of kids. So again, I'm not sure how that matches up with the other. But again, it's it's kind of like the statistics are a little bit they all over the place. They are kind of tough to find, yeah. Yeah, which makes you wonder too, maybe. Because it's also based, you know, you never know if it's like, oh, are these mobile games? Are these games on iPads? Or, you know, it's like, it's hard. It is a tough industry to track yeah. statistically. Yeah, and it almost was, we're going to get into this a little bit too here. I'm, I'm surprised how many people use smartphones to play games. I, it was a lot more than I expected. Yeah, I just I, to me, if I'm going to sit down and play a game, I, I want a more of immersive experience. But it seems very popular among the children because I know my wife, uh, her nieces are always on their phone playing games. Yeah, and then the generational breakdown: eighty-one percent of Gen Z plays video games. Wow. Wow. That's. That's a lot. Yeah. That's almost your whole population. And then not too far behind, 77% of millennials, 60% of my generation, Gen X, and 42% of baby boomers. I was actually really surprised by that statistic. Wow. Yeah. I mean, and I do remember, Logan, way back when, I don't know if you know this, but the Atari 2600, (laughs) that was back in the early 80s. That was the first gaming system, I think, that was kind of commercially widely available. Yeah, it was definitely before my time, but I've played a few Atari. And wow, the difference between that and today. Right, the graphics. But we were entertained. It did keep us busy for hours. So the average time spent is seven hours per week, which I I still think that seems low too. Yeah. It does seem low. For a hardcore gamer. Yeah. You might be able to crank out seven hours in just a day. Yeah. Such a waste to me. I always sort of compare it to like social media. Hound on social media is so hard about how much time people are wasting on. I'm like, have we checked out this gaming industry over here? These people are sitting here for hours at a time. And it's like, you probably have something else you could be doing. I mean, weekend, sure, I get it. Maybe you don't have anything going on. But for these to average out so high, it's just as bad as social media in a sense. Which which makes sense that, you know, if you're on a system like that that long or a platform, then they find ways to monetize it. Oh, for sure. Oh, here yeah. come the ads, right? So, right. Logan, what about your particular gaming uh, usage? How, how long do you spend gaming every week? Um, I tried to quantify it. I think it's roughly about 12 hours. There's at least like three days that I sort of allocate to my online gaming. And uh, aside from that, I take care of all my other duties on the other days or go out on a date with my wife or something. So I try to uh, keep it scheduled so I don't go over or is it your weekends or time. your nights or where do you it's more allocate? so yeah, it's more so nights. I, I allocate like Sundays and uh, Mondays days where we typically don't go out. So and how's that break down too? I think you, you, you mentioned before we started recording, you also do live streaming. Yeah, I, I do very minimal. I've just barely started looking at that industry and uh, working into it. Just barely got a mic and camera set up and the whole, the whole shebang. So it's very new for me. And I, I stopped gaming a long time ago before <laughs> that came around. So what is the, what's the motivation for doing live streaming? For me, it's kind of just the community uh, talking with other people that are just as passionate about this game or this, uh, yeah, mainly just about the game. Uh, it's interesting to come together and like strategize on different ways. Socialization. Yeah, that's yeah. something we'll yep. be talking about on the show today is the Definitely. social aspect of it. That's the big aspect for me. I know some, it's just it's their job. It's how they make their money. It is. It's crazy that I'm like, people, you don't even have to consider college anymore. You just learn how to play a game real well, get your following going. And these people are making crazy money. It takes quite a bit of time and effort to get your name out there, though. Oh, um, I'm sure. A lot of these streamers that are making decent, like I, there's a streamer I follow for a game called Dead by Daylight, and he has uh, roughly like 2,000 uh, viewers per stream. But he had been streaming for like six years to get up to that. And are people following the live streamers because they're they're picking up tips, uh, like how to play a game better? Or is there other aspects? What, what, what's going on? Uh, for me, it it's definitely helps uh, if it's a game where you're looking for strategies or tips uh, to watch somebody who's really good at it. And often a lot of these streamers will explain what they're doing and what their what their thought process is while they're playing. And isn't so, it where people watching can actually pay as they're watching? I've heard where people yep. like are contribute like, and what are they paying them for? Uh, so there's this idea, at least on Twitch, which is what I'm most familiar with, um, seems to be one of the top gaming uh, streaming platforms. Uh, there's this idea of bits where you can spend money, uh, basically give them this tip and um, 
they have lots of uh, lots of ways of tapping into that and uh, displaying alerts on their stream or just just things you can pay them to do, kind of like silly things they can do on oh, stream um, to interact with their fan base. And also it's just supporting them in general. There's also the idea of subscribing where you pay them, you pay a monthly fee and a, a percentage of those uh, proceeds go to the streamer. Have you ever seen where somebody is like, I'm going to give you this much money if you can like get first place in Fortnite or something? Have no, you ever seen I, that? I, I can't say I've seen that, okay. but I'm sure it does exist. A uh, little gambling on <laughs> the streaming I was curious about. And what about Patreon? Is that part of this equation too? Or Yeah, a lot of the streamers do have Patreons for you to support. Um, yeah. You get some sort of benefits from it. Additional content that maybe people aren't seeing that don't have the subscription. Okay, let's continue with the stats. So on device breakdown, 57% play on smartphones. Just, wow. I yeah, just... It may, maybe people are just on the go more or, you know, it's you're at work. Maybe people are doing it while they're at work, you know, or on their lunchtime and they're not home in front of their PC. Yeah. Interesting. 46% are on consoles like the Xbox, PlayStation, Nintendo Switch, Xbox Live. Now that's been around for a while, I think, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Xbox Live is over 100 million monthly active users. PlayStation Plus has around 47.6 million subscribers and the Nintendo's most popular console, which is the Wii, with 101.63 million sales. But the Switch is close on its heels. The Nintendo Switch has sold 92.87 million units. So that's that's a lot of activity. And then, of course, the old PC. Mm-hmm. There's still 42% on that. Still there. Yeah. So Rich, you talked about the global game market revenue. And I think to understand just how big the gaming world really is, it'll help to know how many people are playing these games and how much money these companies are making on their top games. So here's a few of the games with the most players. So the top one I could find was um, the top game based on number of active players is PUBG or Players on Player Unknown Battlegrounds, um, which came out in 2017 and has a hundred million active users. Um, I think this one's mobile, which may, you know, it contributes to mobile still being so popular. The most popular, you know, the game with the most players is PUBG. Logan, are you on this one? My husband's on this one. Um, I've played a little bit of uh, the genre of battle royale games, but I've not been a huge fan, so I haven't really delved into that one. Um, I played a little bit of Fortnite, which kind of is the same idea with its main game mode, which is just Battle Royale. Right. And then next in line is Minecraft. It has 95 million active daily players. This game was actually released in 2011. So it's pretty impressive that it's still going so strong. And I feel like this is the one I actually see so often targeted towards kids. There's tons of toys and, you know, knickknacks you can buy in stores and whatnot. But the other one that was popular that has the most active daily players, I haven't heard of this one, Apex Legends. It was released in 2019 and is it's in third place with 50 million active daily players. Have you heard of this one? Yeah. Yeah. I have a few friends that engage in it. It looks pretty fun. I, I've played it on mobile and it's a little weird on mobile. So yeah. And then the last one um, I'll cover is Fortnite Battle Royale. It has 45 million active daily players. And this game was actually huge during the pandemic. Um, and it actually had 350 million registered users in May of 2020. So that one really took off. And then so based on dollar sales within their first days and weeks, here are some of the top selling video games in the U.S. in 2022. So coming in first is Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2. The game was released at the end of 22, actually, and it earned 800 million in revenue in just its first three days of release and 1 billion with a B within 10 days. So Modern Warfare 2 is actually the number one top selling opening in franchise history. This is the one my husband and his guy friends actually have played the most. This game is causing so much stress and foul language from all players. I just can't <laughs> I stand it. to listen to this one. It is rough because especially when the game ends and everybody from both teams are in a chat room and you're just listening to them just railing on each other because they're just mad. You know, yeah. you're just squatting the whole time. But um, and then second place is um, Elden Ring. I actually haven't heard of this one, but it released early 2022 and has made 6.85 billion so far with another B. And then comes Madden NFL 23. I remember the old Madden games. It's crazy that this one's still going. So we've got Madden NFL 23, God of War Ragnarok, and Lego Star Wars, the Skywalker saga is actually on there. And then this year, if you haven't heard already, we were sort of talking about Hogwarts Legacy 
it actually stands a good shot at being the best selling game of the year for 2023. It made 850 million in global sales in just its first two weeks. So Logan, what type of games are you playing the most? A lot of those titles I've picked up. Uh, I do have Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2. I'm not big on the multiplayer, so I haven't played a ton of that. Oh, okay. Uh, but I've been playing, I, I've definitely played a fair share of God of War Ragnarok, uh, Lego Star Wars, and a little bit of Hogwarts Legacy. My wife kind of picked that one up <laughs> and took off with it. So Yeah, I think all the millennials are loving that one. Yeah. It's just like this nostalgic thing has come back. But exactly. Okay, so we've tackled a ton of stats. So to hopefully really explain why online gaming is just this Goliath of a topic. And not just to show how lucrative it is, but to show how many people are using this. So just like any other service where millions of people are using it, we need to think about and keep in mind that privacy aspect of it. So Rich, why don't you take us into the privacy component of the online gaming world and let's chat about how MySudo can help with a lot of privacy concerns. Sounds good, Sarah. But before we do that, let's take a quick break for this message from our sponsor. Are you tired of big tech spying on you? MySudo is the world's only all-in-one app that gives you back control of your privacy. By creating digital profiles or pseudos, you can compartmentalize your online activities by setting up a unique phone number, email address, and handle for things like shopping, accessing free content, and using dating apps. This breaks the data trail, linking back to your personal info, thus reducing your digital exhaust. Each pseudo also includes a private web browser with ad and tracker blocker. Want to stop companies from sharing data related to your transactions and spending habits? Set up a MySudo virtual card and bring peace of mind that your transactions are secure and private. To learn more, visit MySudo.com. That's MySudo.com. Stay private. All right, Sarah and Logan. Yeah, so in the spirit of being MySudo Monday, we're going to try to make sure that we tie in the app and some of the benefits of using that to, again, keep yourself Safe and private in this particular case while online gaming. There's an article that's called Why Data Privacy is Top Priority for the Online Gaming Industry. They touched on some of these key initiatives that I think everybody should probably take, not just for gaming, but really any use case. But since gaming is such a huge industry, it talks about how gaming companies really need to nurture their target audience across multiple touch points. And so that's why they prompt people to provide their name and mailing address, date of birth, all their personal information, email address, payment, credit card, to create online accounts because it's really a lot like social media because there's so much time being spent on it. You're engaging in this platform. And I know, um, you know, whenever there's that kind of engagement, there's going to be opportunities to monetize that. So Logan, do you, I, again, since I haven't been in the gaming, in the gaming world for many, many years, do you see advertisements at all in the games? Do you see opportunities where they're trying to upsell you or cross-sell you something when you're in a game? Not not a whole lot. There, There's definitely a free-to-play games that will monetize by doing so. Mostly, maybe not mostly, but there's a lot of uh, free-to-play games that uh, make their money off of kind of predatory practices where they're trying to upsell them on different add-ons or there's like some mobile games they'll say, you've ran out of energy for the day. Do you want to spend money to get more so you can keep playing? Or even like in Fortnite, like you buy, don't they call them skins? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. you can like buy different looking people or different clothes or, you know, like these games, that's how they're making a lot of money. I've seen people spending thousands online and I'm like, I would be so mad if I saw my husband spending five grand on video game upgrades. I'd be like, that'd be a different discussion. (laughs) Logan, how do the gaming companies contact you? Is it just typically through email? Yeah, they do a lot of uh, email advertising uh, for sure. on latest updates of the game or like deals that they have going on. If it's mobile, maybe they'll send you mobile notifications. Yeah, which is why it's so important to use a pseudo email address because that information is being used to compile this massive social profile on you. So if you can break that data trail, I think it's a good idea to use a a pseudo email when you're gaming. So information in in those accounts is often used to tie to these broader online social networking sites, as I mentioned building this large profile. It assists in game, in-game advertising, understanding game preferences and facilitating in-game interactions and by even offering matchup services. So online gaming forums are teeming with complaints about missing and most likely stolen game products, accounts, hostages, kidnapped for ransom, as well as credit card bills that show unauthorized in-game expenditures. Now, Logan, before we started recording, you were talking about a situation, I think, where you experienced 
maybe a little identity theft. Oh, yeah. So basically for Sony, their online systems aren't super secure. There's been a huge history of hacks happening. So there's nothing more important for your PlayStation account than adding 2FA or two-factor authentication because I didn't have it on my account for purchases and someone went in and made like six different purchases. Luckily, Sony uh, refunded the money to me, but afterwards I set up 2FA for everything. How do you feel about the strength of your passwords right now? I've definitely started utilizing uh, password managers. So they also talk about how losing a virtual object means everything for a player, spending hundreds of real world dollars and hours in game to obtain something valuable. Also, hackers might readily exchange a virtual object they had stolen for cash. So there's there's quite a marketplace in this, in this oh, yeah. space. There's a, there's a specific game named EVE Online where people have lost upwards to like 700,000. Like it's not an insignificant amount. That's insane. Yeah. And again, it may be used to access the victim's email and other internet accounts and sell it on dark web markets, which by the way, dark web, that's an episode coming up in the future. So we're definitely going to talk some more. I have uh, like nine ways your online gaming privacy may be at risk. And we'll touch on some of those here. And I just, I don't think online gaming is really something people innately associate with having a ton of privacy risks, but I was able to compile this list. Um, So before we dive into why data privacy is so important in the gaming world and provide you with solutions like my pseudo, To some of these concerns, I just wanted to address the risks people may not be aware of with online gaming. So the first one is camera and microphone access. Many multiplayer games require mic access to communicate. Younger children especially may not realize the mic is transmitting everything they say. So if someone happens to be speaking about personal information in the room, something like that, then they would be transmitted to whoever is listening. And likewise, many gamers stream their content for viewers online, exposing them to similar risks. If their personal information, such as passwords or location, are viewable in the background of the footage or on the desktop while the screen is sharing, then this can be stolen and put to ill use. So Logan, you mentioned you're into a little streaming. What are your thoughts on that? aspect of gaming as a privacy risk. I definitely agree with the points that you brought up. I've heard, I've seen specific cases where I'm playing a game online and somebody has their mic unmuted. Oftentimes it's been a child and I just hear things just going on in the background. (laughs) Maybe their mom's yelling at them and their discourse going back and forth, yelling at their animals, uh, getting mad at the game. Sounds more embarrassing than it. Yeah. I I haven't seen it be uh, super harmful yet, but there is the potential for that for sure. Okay, so back to our list of risks to online gaming privacy. So the other one is location tracking. We spoke in episode six on surveillance capitalism about Pokemon Go. And some games, especially mobile games such as Pokemon Go, track your real world location and sell this information to advertisers. So, for example, if you frequent a certain clothing store and the game notices this, it can tell the advertiser to start showing you ads of the store's clothing. This in and itself would be a privacy invasion if you don't consent, but the harm would be compounded if that same data were revealed by a security breach. And apparently Ubisoft, for example, which owns the Assassin's Creed games, says it's it respects privacy and security, but yet the company may record your playing habits at any time. And they can also log your location and how much money you spend wow. in a game. And then number three, uh, poorly protected servers. Hackers can breach any company servers without you making any mistakes of your own. Perhaps the most infamous example of this was, like you said, the Sony PlayStation hack when hackers breached the company's database and they got access to the personal information of over 70 million user accounts, including names, passwords, credit card details and addresses. So it sounds like Sony just sort of has a history and needs to figure that out. (laughs) The number four risk to online gaming privacy is malware, especially when you download cheaper versions of the game. Malicious code can be inserted into the game itself, especially if it's been pirated. This code is used to access your personal information, such as login details, passwords, or even payment information. So beware of free games from unknown developers. Logan, have you been uh, guilty of that one? Uh, As a (laughs) child growing up, uh, I've definitely dealt with a few uh, pirated games in my days. (laughs) It's becoming less and less of a thing because they're 
adding more and more security measures yeah. to work oh, around good. it. But yeah. uh, Number five is in-game ransomware. You mentioned this one. Many gamers invest thousands of hours in their video game characters. And this is the most common in massively multiplayer games like World of Warcraft, they mentioned. This is why many gamers have their accounts targeted. Hackers know people will pay substantial sums to have access returned to them. Ransomware is typically injected when gamers buy third-party unlicensed power-ups to benefit their character. So they're like they're abducting your online presence, right? Yeah. It's like if you want this back, you've committed so much time wow. and effort into it, you'll want it back. And number six is keyloggers. We've touched on keyloggers before, but a keylogger is a kind of malware that records all your keystrokes to capture login credentials through emails or private messages. Hackers posing as game developers may offer free content or access to a beta version of a new game. And after falling for these phishing attacks, a keylogger will record any passwords or login information you enter, giving the hacker access to your account. From there, they can steal your personal data or ransom your account. Uh, number seven, the number seven risk to online gaming privacy is unsecured Wi-Fi. Using unsecured public Wi-Fi exposes you to risks if you enter your login credentials or credit card information. This risk is compounded by the fact that many gamers don't use VPNs for fear they'll slow down their connection speed and worsen their online gaming experience. However, as we've mentioned, ensure you're paying for a trustworthy VPN provider because there are many VPN companies that may just be more problematic than the networks they seek to secure. And, you know, spoiler alert, MySudo has a VPN product coming soon. And I'm excited to get one of our product leads on here to uh, in a few weeks to chat about our latest privacy tool. Definitely. And number eight, the next one is phishing. If you haven't listened to episode 14 on social engineering attacks, you definitely should because we dove into that topic a lot more and it was really interesting. So no matter the industry, phishing remains one of the most common forms of attack. Typically, an email is sent out posing as someone trustworthy, which encourages you to enter login information. However, if you do, whatever information you enter will be stolen and used to break into your account. And that phishing episode, that's one of our most listened to episodes. It is. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. And finally, the last risk to online gaming privacy on my list is not using 2FA. We mentioned that one. Again, we've discussed 2FA throughout our previous episodes. And without two-factor authentication, your risk of getting hacked is much higher. And despite this, many games co game companies do not require users to implement 2FA, leaving them vulnerable to many of the risks I listed out. So Logan, are any of these a surprise to you or any you didn't really think of as a privacy concern before? Definitely not a surprise. There's some I don't think about ransomware being one or key loggers just because in my day-to-day -day life, because I'm an engineer, I used to kind of fielding emails and making sure there's nothing fishy in them or filtering out spam. Very cool. Definitely. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you really, other than the stolen identity situation, you probably haven't really experienced anything too off the rails yet. No, nothing too crazy as far as gaming goes. I'm sure it gets worse the more popular you are. You know, like oh, we yeah. talked about these streamers. I'm sure yeah. they're some, trying to fight stuff off all the time. There's some streamers that utilize VPNs for the fact that they're known to get attacks. Kind of helps them move away from that. But. That's so sad. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so to end to follow up, uh, Sarah, with your list, it's really, again, just comes down to good cyber hygiene. Uh, I would add also just be very careful with weak passwords, using the same passwords across multiple accounts, whether it's banking or whatever platforms that you're using. And also you mentioned about downloading from illegal sources or cheaper sources. <laughs> just make sure you be careful. A lot of people do that with movies and the same thing, right? You right. know, I may or may not have been guilty of doing that in the past. <laughs> Maybe got a virus. Um, and yeah, and just be careful. Make sure you regularly update your software. So there was a major story that took place last year, and this is a New York Times article. Epic Games was ordered to pay $520 million over children's privacy, and they call it trickery charges. So the Federal Trade Commission accused Epic Games of illegally collecting children's personal information, of harming young players by matching them with strangers on Fortnite, while enabling live communications and separately of using manipulative techniques called dark patterns to trick millions of players into making unintentional purchases. And these dark patterns really just are techniques built into the UI UX that are designed to get you to 
to not do what you really want to do. And then they, they keep you on the system and get you to pay more or get you more engaged with the, with the product. Right. They're features of websites and apps that they're, yeah, they're designed to make it harder for you to do what you want, either through complexity or deception. I've spent several times I've tried to unsubscribe from a service and I yeah, just couldn't like, find where the button. Is that button? <laughs> and then and they make like, you call, right? Yeah. Yeah. Pick up the phone and call somebody. And you know how that is today. Because they know no one wants to use a phone, including yeah. myself. And, so. and and your whole time is like 20 minutes. So further in this historic deal that puts the entire video game industry on notice, as they say, Epic Games agreed to pay a record $520 million in fines and refunds to settle the FTC's accusations. Now, Epic Games is the creator of Fortnite. And um I am not embarrassed to say that I have never, I've never dived into that product. So <laughs> it's entertaining, but apparently it's uh, very popular among teenagers and children. Now this violated children's privacy. They duped millions of users into unwanted purchases and it was very easy to sign up and start playing and talking or text chatting with strangers through the game. Right. I think this is the one that I saw where People are posting online where they're showing the refunds that they're getting because I guess it's if you purchased within a specific time frame, they will like you can get refunded for it. And some guy showed him getting like five thousand dollars. He did. And I was like, first of all, why are you spending five thousand dollars on that? And somebody was like, yeah, I got 30 bucks back or something. But yeah, it was like in a specific time frame. Wow. Yeah. Some children also racked up hundreds of dollars on their parents' credit cards. Again, part of I think part of this dark pattern just making it too easy because I don't think they were probably vetting out who was actually you know, using the credit card and making the purchases. And they were buying digital items like colorful outfits for their game characters. Those purchases, along with branded merchandise like action figures, helped make Fortnite a billion dollar blockbuster for Epic Games, more than 400 users. So Epic paid $275 million to settle regulators' accusations that it violated a federal law, which is the Children's Online Privacy Protection Act. By collecting personal information by, from children who are under 13 who played Fortnite without obtaining verifiable consent from a parent. I, I can't even believe they allow 14-year-olds to be doing this, to be honest with you. I mean, because you're really interacting with the world. So It is. It's one of those things where, like, I see I see kids dressed up as Fortnite characters for Halloween. And oh, yeah. there's just so much that's geared towards them. Then they're playing at such young ages, which I guess as a parent, you just have to choose which games you're going to allow your little kids to play. We stick to Lego Marvel or something like that. I wouldn't want him at young ages learning these, you know, battle games. They're just a little bit brutal sometimes. And, and Logan, you you've you've dabbled in it a little bit. Oh, yeah. I, I've played a little bit of Fortnite when it first came out. Not really my thing, I would say, but I, it's definitely predatory in some of its practices. What, what's appealing about it? Why is this so popular? A lot of it is kind of the same appeal that like um, my Minecraft might have is that you get to build things, you break things down, um, kind of like more Legos. You it's know? more strategy. Yeah, strategy. And, and they and have then, like last player standing yeah. you know, type thing. So you get to try to be the last one standing out of like a group of 40 or 100, you know, and it's like you're you're the winner that's everybody's trying to be the last one standing but yeah yeah that's, that's a huge thing too it's the a lot of interaction with other players and the whole thrill of trying to survive and trying to find good items and survive right. amongst 40 people yeah got it in addition the company made parents jump through hoops to have their children's data deleted and sometimes yeah. failed to honor parents deletion request wow <laughs> the agency said in a legal complaint that was filed on monday and this was when the article was written a little bit uh, toward the end of last year in U.S. District Court for the Eastern District of North Carolina, where Epic is headquartered. In the privacy complaint, the FTC said that Epic had caused substantial injury to children by matching children and teenagers with adult strangers to play Fortnite while enabling live voice and text chats by default. Yeah. That's yeah, like one thing to pair mm -hmm. them up, which is like you can be paired up with anybody, but to enable those type of features is unnecessary for young yeah, kids. Boy, it just sounds, yeah, huge liability risk. Oh, yeah. So children and teenagers had been, quote, bullied, threatened, and harassed within Fortnite, including sexually, end quote, according to the complaint, adding that some had also been exposed to traumatizing issues like suicide and self-harm through the game. Epic Games was aware of such harms, the complaint said, but they noted that the company's user experience director, sent an email to executives in 2017 seeking, quote, basic toxicity prevention, end quote, for children on Fortnite and asking them to turn off voice chat. 
As part of the proposed settlement, Epic Games is also required to adopt high privacy default settings for children and teenagers, including turning off live text and voice chats by default for younger users. And that's the first time that the FTC has imposed such a remedy, which that's pretty interesting as well. Kind of reminds me of TikTok. You know, we talked about how their messaging is only available if you're 13 and older, but it's like you can change the settings to make you look older so that you can access different features. Yeah, exactly. And if and if you've seen the the recent AI filter feature on TikTok. Oh yeah, people are going crazy you making can them literally change what you look like. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yep. So I can become older, I guess. Or, 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 <laughs> or really, younger. In my case, younger. Yeah. Yes. Uh, much rather have we that. We don't want to go older. <laughs> Epic also agreed to pay $245 million to refund consumers over accusations that had used manipulative online practices to trick players of all ages into making unintended purchases. Uh, the FTC uh, announced also that it intended to crack down on these illegal dark patterns that can manipulate consumers, like as we said, through these very deceptive UI UX patterns. In a separate dark patterns complaint against Epic Games, regulators said Fortnite's user interface had a counterintuitive, inconsistent, and confusing layout that led users to incur charges with the press of a single button. Mm, kind of reminds me of Amazon. <laughs> Buy now. Players could be charged while trying to activate the game from sleep mode or while the game was loading a screen. Wow. And children ended up racking up charges without their parents' knowledge. And then finally, despite a range of complaints from players and pleas from employees, the company used manipulative tactics to deter consumers from canceling unauthorized charges or requesting refunds. These dark pattern techniques resulted in hundreds of millions of dollars in unwanted charges for users. Insane. Let's take a quick break for this message from our sponsor. The global average cost of a data breach is nearly $4.5 million, but that's viewing it from a liability perspective. Today, privacy is a value proposition for software providers. When you develop a reputation for protecting consumers' personal information, you don't just acquire new customers, you make them loyal. Encino Platform is the world's premier cloud platform for providing developers with a menu of enterprise-ready SDKs and APIs that make integrating privacy solutions into your software so easy. Built for developers by developers, from identity wallets and password managers to virtual cards and secure encrypted communications, Pseudo Platform has you covered. Go to market quickly with a privacy platform that is scalable, flexible, and secure. To learn more, visit pseudoplatform.com. That's pseudoplatform.com. So we have reached my favorite part of our episodes, which is providing our listeners with tips to protecting yourself online. So we also have articles on mysudo.com forward slash blog about protecting your kids online. And there are a few tips targeted towards gaming for listeners to check out. But I'm going to list off a few other ways to improve your online gaming privacy. One of the biggest takeaways, I think, is to take all the same precautions as you would for preventing a data breach. This includes steps such as using strong passwords, avoiding companies with a bad security track record, and limiting the amount of information you give out. You should really never be sharing personal information with online gaming, whether it's saying it out loud to another player or even entering information to log in and create accounts. And this is where MySudo becomes your biggest privacy tool for online gaming. Um, you can create a specific gaming pseudo profile and it'll come with a customizable email address and a working phone number that you can use when creating your online gaming profiles. The goal really is to just create a protected online profile. And when you go to make your gaming purchases, iOS users can use a MySudo virtual card to do so. Um, we've briefly mentioned MySudo vir virtual cards before, but I wanted to touch on this a bit more for a second. So these are currently available for, as I mentioned, our iOS US-based users. But one of the critical components to privacy is the ability to protect your personal credit and debit card details from hackers, trackers, and bad actors. Um, MySudo virtual cards can be used to safely and securely make purchases with online merchants using the card's details instead of using your real personal credit card, which ultimately keeps you and your personal credit card for, and details safe and secure. Currently, you just use a personal debit 
or credit card as your funding source, but we'll be introducing the ability to link directly to your bank account in the near future. So once you create your virtual card, it starts working immediately online with US-based merchants. And the, the merchant charges the virtual card, and this charge just goes through to your personal funding source. And the merchant never has access to or sees your personal credit card information, only the virtual card details. My pseudo virtual cards ultimately limit the risk of your personal credit card information from being stolen in the event of an online merchant is hacked or breached. I just recently had a fraudulent charge hit my debit card and immediately I was like, okay, which website did I not use a virtual card for? Because the process of applying for a new credit card is just so time consuming and using the virtual card would have made things so much easier for me in the long run. Okay, I just went off on a little tangent there, but hey, it's my pseudo Monday, so it's completely justified. Okay, so a few other ways to improve your online gaming privacy. Seek out and utilize a trustworthy VPN provider that won't contain malware or your information at risk. I mentioned earlier that my pseudo has exciting news coming with a VPN product, and, and we can't wait to chat about that one coming up. Next, avoid using pirated versions of games from torrents. Like I mentioned earlier, these may save you money, at least initially, but it will also make you significantly more vulnerable to malware and other online gaming privacy compromises. Next, like we mentioned, be careful with cheat codes. I'm not entirely sure how these work, but I know I hear about these all the time, but sometimes these may run malware that can compromise your device. Another tip, uh, like I mentioned earlier, be mindful of phishing attacks, including in-game. If someone you don't know sends you links or attachments, do not click or open them. And finally, in your account, find the privacy settings and configure them to maximize your privacy, such as by turning off location tracking. In your security settings, you should also um, enable two-factor authentication if that's available. Uh, Logan, have you used MySudo for any of your online gaming or streaming yet? Oh, yeah, I've been using it quite extensively. I use it for any new account that I create, if only for the fact that I don't want to get all this advertisement to my main email. Uh, It helps avoid a lot of that. The fact that I can have multiple profiles with different emails for different purposes is super helpful. So you you have like one pseudo just for gaming? Yeah. Okay. I have like one for streaming related services like Netflix or what have you. And also I, I use the virtual cards extensively because I've had card data stolen so often that that was a game changer for me. Yeah, it's one of those you don't like think about until it's too late and you're like, shoot, I should have used that. So any other tips you would like to provide listeners for improving privacy with online gaming? I think a lot of those points were definitely good for that. Only things I can think of is basically, at least for children, is having their parents involved in the whole process with their gaming. I know when I was growing up in gaming, my stepdad would game with me. So he was involved in that process and kind of see what I was playing and who I was interacting with and what have you. So And the kids love it. Yep, anyways. Exactly. Yeah. And it's a it's a way to form relationships with your child. So I, I definitely see that as a positive uh way to help. I just think yeah. about when I was thirteen, if I had if I had the ability to ping a credit card all the time, whoa. Oh my right. gosh. Right. Yeah. Oh yeah. Look For out. a kid to know how to run a credit card is a little bit scary nowadays. <laughs> they just know to how to do too much. All right. Let's move into the topic of swatting. Now this this is probably the one, this is probably the one subject that makes the most news, I think. Just yeah. this concept of, you know, ca- making these hoax calls and, and summoning the uh, emergency services to come to someone's house. Now, this is a criminal harassment tactic, and it is designed to deceive emergency service by making up some reason for the call, which is, you know, bomb threats, murder, hostage situations. You're either suicidal or homicidal. Someone's got a gun and saying something. And so they make these calls and the police show up and oftentimes it's the SWAT teams. And, you know, you you can imagine what those outcomes might be. It's a very dangerous and risky situation. So for gamers, this typically happens to live streamers. I think you mentioned Logan Twitch. I don't know if you've ever tried to live stream on YouTube, but I guess that happens there as well. There's been about a thousand swatting cases just in 2019 alone. Wow. (laughs) And swatting is a criminal offense in many jurisdictions, often punishable by fine or imprisonment, but it is also a federal crime, which is punishable by up to life in prison. Which I feel like it's like sort of justified, you know, well, you know, the life in prison is intense, but it's just like you're using these resources and you're sort of boy who cried wolf, you know, these, they need to know when they really need to be used. And I mean, there are people have been injured or people have died from this. So yeah, that's, you should not be messing around with this kind of stuff. 
So police departments, you know, they should take care when responding to calls, of course, received uh, at their non-emergency numbers, which seems to be kind of a common pattern. These calls that are being made outside of that local 911 jurisdiction. So they make these calls using the non-emergency number or through text-to-speech services, which otherwise is known as TTY. And since these methods are often employed, as I mentioned, by out-of-area swatters, you know, who cannot connect to the regional 911 center, that should be kind of a red flag to law enforcement to be a little bit cautious about what's going on. That's a good idea. So in October of 2018, the Seattle Police Department, uh, they took a pretty interesting three-pronged approach to combating swatting. They educated their 911 dispatchers to identify potential swatting calls, uh, ensuring that responding officers are aware of the potential for a hoax situation. They uh, also created an opt-in registry for people who fear that they might become victims of swatting. So I guess, Logan, that would be someone that's kind of more known in the area of gaming. Oh, yeah. And also journalists, celebrities, of course, um, those are other people, anyone who's high profile. In fact, I think uh, not, not necessarily related to gaming, but it was 2019, I believe, that the CEO of Instagram was swatted. Oh, yeah. Wow. That's interesting. Yeah, crazy. So there have been uh, obviously several cases of swatting against online gamers. I won't go really into the details of the stories. I think it's pretty self-explanatory. But the point here is, you know, you have to be extremely cautious when you're engaging in online gaming make sure in this particular case, use a pseudo, use, use an email address from pseudo, use a phone number from, from a pseudo. Use a VPN. Use your VPN. <laughs> so I don't know where you are. And just be careful, right? Don't be sharing information. So yeah, good practices. Yeah, we mentioned VPN. Every user should have a, yeah, every internet user has a unique uh, internet protocol or IP address, which is allocated to their personal device and home or work network. But while this enables them to access the internet and communicate with other computers, the IP address should be private. However, attackers do have means of finding IP addresses, which can reveal further personal information. So just be extremely cautious how you are accessing the internet because IP addresses can reveal geographic location. But in most cases, this won't be as specific as your, your address. But in rare cases, when combined with other information, they could be able to determine where you are. Never share personal information with other gamers. That's pretty self-explanatory. I'm surprised how many times I hear that that does happen. Because uh, I guess it, this socialization aspect, people do kind of feel like they're building friendships with people, even though they've never met them. It's a little weird for me being a Gen Xer, but I guess that's the way it is. Maintain strict privacy and security settings on your devices and social media accounts. Take time to regularly check the safety and security settings on email and social media profiles, especially when getting a new computer or mobile phone. Regularly changing your passwords, we mentioned using 2FA, and avoid oversharing personal info, period, on any platform, because that's how people find you. And then, of course, you know, even if they don't swatch you, they can still dox you. And that means you've just got people you don't know hanging around your neighborhood looking for you, whatever. Who knows, right? It is 2023, so just be very, very careful. Yeah, I had actually never heard of swatting until you had brought it up a few weeks ago. And just hearing that... Even if it's like, oh, are they bored or whatever? It could be like somebody's just so angry with you. Yeah. So if you're just pissing off the wrong person while you're just, gaming. Just from a game. That's just kind of scary. You know, it's just like people with road rage. You don't know if you're going to piss off the wrong person today. You know, it's just it's crazy to me. Oh, yeah. And there's a lesser form of uh, harassment that happens on popular streaming platforms called uh, hate raids where a group of people will jump into a stream and just spam really offensive things via text and just kind of assault the person through communication and it kind of ruins their stream and kind of, yeah, just negatively affects them. Are you calling so, it a hate raid? Yeah, a lot of them call them hate raids. Wow. Where wow. they raid it. Because there's this idea on Twitch where you raid people and you just go with... Usually it's a streamer when they're ending their stream, they'll take their audience and go to a different stream. And so it's take like, them there. it's like an online mob. Yeah. Right. Jeez. Yeah. So one thing that I did want to ensure we covered in this episode was the social aspect of online gaming. We kind of talked about that at the beginning. There are a lot of privacy concerns we've covered in this episode around gaming, but there really are so many positives that can come out of things like multiplayer online gaming as well. So to put into perspective how common multiplayer gaming is, a 2022 survey found that 83% of gamers in the US played with others online or in person. And the majority agree that online gaming plays a huge part in making new friendships and relationships. So whether they're meeting new people in the game 
or they become better friends with people they hang out with regularly. They say online gaming helps cultivate relationships. So aside from being entertaining and a fun pastime, gaming can provide a way for people to interact with each other as they work together toward, you know, completing common tasks. And our society has really suffered in recent years from an epidemic of loneliness. And gaming has just been a vehicle for people to connect with others. And there was actually an article that came out a few years ago. I remember reading, it was a guy who he was suicidal and he said someone he met online while gaming saved his life. He was coping with the recent deaths of his parents and three of his brothers. And he had said online, an online gamer pulled him back from the brink by simply asking if he was okay. He said they had played together a few times, but He'd never been particularly talkative, but one night his gaming buddy just noticed he was a little off and just asked him, are you okay? And they just started talking about mental health, basically, because they could relate to it. And he said, I can't tell you, quote, how much of a difference it made to me to have somebody there who was listening to me and just accepting me for who I was. So I always tell my husband when he's playing, you know, a more intense game like Call of Duty to be nicer to people online, you know, that you're yelling at. You just (laughs) never know maybe what somebody is going through or, you know, even if it's a child, we have kids on these games and these people are raging. So Logan, what do you think? Do you see these positive aspects of online gaming from a social standpoint as well? Those points are a lot of the positives that I see individually in uh, social gaming. A big a big thing for me was during the pandemic, I have some family that's high risk, so we weren't able to spend as much time in person. So we sort of uh, took up more gaming, uh, playing simple games such as Uno or something basic online together. And it kind of uh, helped us stay together despite being away from each other. I know my sister was kind of struggling so I helped her build a gaming PC and we uh, played a lot of games together and it was super helpful. So very cool. Yeah, very cool. I guess Sarah, Logan, I think we I think we hammered uh, this topic pretty well. Any any other ideas or thoughts or tips or comments before we wrap this up? No, I think it was a great you know introduction for my pseudo Monday and how you can utilize these privacy tools to do what you love. Continue gaming. Just do it safely. And I like this feature, My Pseudo Monday. I My Pseudo Monday. It's got a good ring to it. Yes. And uh, there's so many use cases out there, aren't there? Oh, yeah. It's so like, we could do this for months and months and months. <laughs> yeah. We're never going to run out of ideas. So that's great. Yeah. Great tips for keeping people safe and private. And um, let's, let's hopefully uh, we'll, we'll do more of this. Logan, I appreciate you uh, being in studio with us today. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It's because I've been out of the gaming world for Ooh, 20 plus years. And yeah. yeah. I haven't played since Nintendo 64. That was as comfortable as I got. And then they lost me. So a lot has changed. Oh, yeah. Well, cool. Well, that's going to do it for this episode. In our next episode, Sarah and I will be looking into the recent spy balloon drama that occurred in the U.S. last month. We'll be interviewing a research scientist and engineer who specializes in satellite communications, discussing surveillance technologies, how they work, and what you can do to better protect your privacy. This will be our deepest episode yet. You won't want to miss it. Until next time, don't forget, privacy is a human right.